0: Good morning. Uh, before, well, first, if this is your first time here, glad you guys can be here with us. <clears throat> My name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors and get a chance to do a bulk of the preaching and get a chance to do such today. But, Will can't do this because it would be awkward and weird and maybe a little bit boastful. But, um, three people amongst a ton of you guys that really bought at this affordable Christmas deal. But, Will Vakirovich, Greg Lindsay, and then the leader of it all, Megan Lamby, you guys got to give them big ups for that. And before I got up here, Will was like, hey, can you tell them that I did really good, too? And so I was like, yeah, <laughs> no. Nah. He wouldn't have never said that because this is not how he gets down. But um, these, these people and you guys, as a church, like, it's probably one of the best things that we do as a church is the way that we come alongside and serve in our community. And there's a lot of details, a lot of organization, a lot of work, and a lot of things that really went into that. And it was impressive um, be honest with you, we're like, we're, like, we're like not good at a whole lot of details, organization, and so forth. That's why Greg and Megan had to be a part of it. But yesterday was like, I was looking like, this is, this is it. Like, I literally was about to leave the church, and then I thought, you know what? This is a really good church. I'm going to stay here, and so forth. And so it was, a, it, was, it was a blessing. And some of us in this congregation, we know what it's like to be people who need the affordable Christmases, Right? And when you have an opportunity to be a part of a church to serve, but it, the way that you all as a people served, it wasn't like this top-down, let us serve the people who were poor, who were better. It, it, it was legitimately serving with. It was relational. It wasn't rushed. It wasn't hurried. It was absolutely amazing. And then also, we, we also partnered with um, Redemption West Mesa, which you didn't know, it's one of our congregations. It's a bilingual-speaking congregation, which was a was huge help for us. Um, one because many of us don't speak Spanish, although I was shocked at how many of you guys do speak Spanish or were faking it. Um, it. It was it was impressive, and so really really thankful to be a part of this church, and so it was good. Uh, but we are going to start today our our continue our series on Advent and looking at the Word, and today we're looking at how the Word dwells and how God desires to dwell with us. And so if you have a Bible, turn to the Gospel of John chapter one, particularly looking at verse 14. Um, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, keep it raised really high. One of our ushers will walk down the aisle and get you a copy of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, keep the one that we are handing out it is our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and a knowledge of the Lord. Um, so last week was the beginning of Advent, this season that we remember Christ, His coming and birth, but also His second coming in which He's coming to renew all things. And so I was gone last week, and usually I'm preaching at another church or doing something like that or fasting or... Uh, something, something like that, I, I, was, I had the privilege to be with my son, just me and my oldest son. His football team um, was representing the great state of Arizona. They won the championship here. They got to go to the national championship in Florida, and they won it. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. One, because Arizona gets no respect from the rest of the I mean, honestly, and I'm from California. People in California, they think they invented football, Um, and especially in the south. But we went up there, we did our thing, praise the Lord. I was praying the whole time. Um, There were almost a couple fights because these parents get into it. And so I took my pastor hat off, you know what I'm saying? It was like, you know, (laughs) lay some hands on some people. So there was a... So they won it, and then afterwards they celebrated. And so I'm going to show you this picture. Yeah. And listen, that's not what you think it is. That's a bottle of champagne. So that is... (laughs) That's a joke I have to say because some of you guys are like, I don't know what church we came to. Uh, now, what I don't have pictures of, and I should have, was I flew back to be with the Affordable Christmas time, which was amazing. Noah and his team got back last night after 9 o'clock or whatnot. And so many of the families, many of the families that did make it and so forth, are there with all the signs. And there's all these there's 24 boys and other parents getting off the plane, and they got the signs there. And probably the best scene was watching Noah go hug his mother, who he hadn't seen in eight days, and then the part that, which that didn't surprise me, um, but the little brother, who we're not always so sure about, um, run and hug his big brother, and the big brother actually receive it. Okay, that's happened never. So that, that was absolutely amazing. And the picture of that is where I want, really, really want to go to this morning, and that is, when we think about Christmas and we think about Advent, we think about ultimately the birth of Christ, we got to understand what Advent means. Advent, is, Advent means arrival or coming. And what it is, it's the expectation or the longing that we have. And the longing and expectation that we have is not for the birth of Christ because we've already experienced that in this world. It's the second coming of Christ. So we stand at the center where we look back to the first Advent of Christ's coming in which the people, the saints of God, look forward to. Now we look now forward to the day in which Christ will come and restore all things. And so the picture that we have of Christ dwelling with us is this union in which we all desperately need, and that is man and God. And not so much man's desire to be with God, but the overwhelming of God's grace, of his desire to be with us. The picture of God moving towards us, the picture of God finding us, the picture of God removing the bearers of sin, Satan, death through his grace that we may be with him. The hard part about this for us is we don't long for things that last. Like especially in the season like now of Christmas, we have particular kids that are wanting certain gifts, right? We just talked about all the gifts, which was amazing. Um, Worst thing you could ever do for affordable Christmas is bring your kids, by the way. Because they walk and they're like, oh, is this what Christmas is gonna be like? No. Not for you, actually, not at all. Uh, Get a raffle ticket, see if we can get that bike. his kids got all the gifts. What happened? Uh, the, the, the reality is we long for things. And here's, here's, here's what's going to happen. You long for whatever uh, electric device you're going to get. You're going to want a better one next year or the year after. As adults, we long for things that eventually some, we want the next upgrade. And even when we long for things relationally, oftentimes, those things are not lasting. We, we don't know how to long for things that last forever. And yet what Advent is about is about longing for eternity with God. Many of us haven't spent two minutes this whole year thinking about spending eternity with God. And so so it's really hard. And yet the whole purpose of this season is to get us to to step back, to get us to to, to slow down, to get us to sit down. Am I going to say what you think I'm going to say? Maybe. Be humble and and, and just, I, I couldn't resist it. And actually try to slow things down in such a way that we can remember the person in the presence of Christ who dwells with us and now dwells with us by his spirit. So what we're going to do today is look at a familiar verse in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. Um, And what we're going to do from that is understanding this word that Christ dwells with us. The word of God dwells with us. And what this word means, because... Many of us have heard that phrase before. We've heard that God dwells with us, that word put on flesh, and he dwells with us. We've heard all the translations and all the paraphrases, but we've got to understand, where is John plucking this word from? Because he's not just plucking it out of the air. He's taking it out of a story to make sense of the story of the Bible and the story of the word. So what we have here is from creation to recreation is where Advent sits. It sits right there in God's creating and desire to be with us, God in Christ now redeeming and restoring, and the ultimate day in which Christ will renew and restore all of creation in the work and through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. But the word we look at is the desire for God to begin to dwell with us. And so if you're with me in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, um, verse 14, hold your spot there and we pray. Ask God to bless our time this morning. Jesus, we pray for your spirit to in us raise our affection for you. Raise our affection for the things of you. Raise our awareness and understanding that it is not so much of us trying to dwell with you, but you, Lord, desiring to be with us, to show up for us, to be present with us, to be where we are in the middle of our mess, removing whatever barriers are there that you may be with us. Help us to understand your holy and relentless pursuit of us in the midst of this season, in the midst of this time. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm not a big fan of sci fi movies. Um, For whatever reason, my mind just can't get into things that are not real. Um, And it's not even a joke, I just can't get into it. However, Jake Slobodnik, one of our pastors here, convinced us a few years ago to go watch the movie Interstellar. Right? I just let that sit just to see if anybody's watched it because you're like, mm hmm, right? Interstellar is a sci-fi movie. There's a lot of it I don't really get because it's like going into the future and in the past and things, some things that I get lost on. But the realness of this movie is amazing. Now, I'm not trying to give the movie away, but here's the deal. It's been out for several years. That's your fault, right? <laughs> so what you have, there's a scene that, that I think shows this picture of, of, of God's love and moving towards us. And the scene, will, it will absolutely wreck you. And you have Matthew McConaughey. He plays this astronaut who is a scientist and so forth. And he's going on this trip to the future. See, this is where I get lost. So he's going to the future. And everything else in the past is going to go as it's supposed to go, or in the present it's supposed to go. As, anyways, it's about a dad who loves his daughter, right? And so you have this where he's away from his kids. And he realizes there's a good chance that he may not get back. And so though time is happening in the future, more time is actually going by in the present. So his kids are growing up without him. And so he finds this this, um, lost messages. It's years of messages. And he sits down and he starts watching these video messages that his kids are sending him. And it's his son. And his son's growing up. And his son shows you a picture of his son. And he's weeping. He's just weeping because he so wants to be with his children. Well, then finally, after all these messages, no daughter, no daughter, no daughter, and his daughter he loves. And maybe he loves his daughter more than his son. I don't know. I don't think parents like certain kids more than others. But they finally show his daughter, and his daughter's an adult, and she goes, she's mad at him. She's like, I'm mad that you left. And she goes, but I decided to finally do one of these videos. And you know why? And she says, because today's a special day for me. She goes, today's my birthday. And she goes, and I remember when you left, when she was a little girl, you said there's a good chance that when you come back that we would be the same age. And she goes, today I turned the age that you were when you left. And then she goes on, about, I really could use for you to be here with me right now. She's weeping on her end, he's weeping on his end, and there's this sense throughout the movie, he's trying to do whatever it takes to get back to this daughter whom he loves. Right? love the movies. That's probably the best scene in that entire movie because the rest of it is a little too much science for me, right? But the emotion, I'm like, I feel you, right? And what you have here is, in Matthew McConaughey's sense, he has the desire but he doesn't necessarily know if he has the ability to get to her. When you look at the biblical narrative, what you have is, you have a father who loves his children. And he doesn't only have just the desire to be with us, but he has the ability to remove the barriers that are there. And when we begin to think about Christmas and Advent and the longing we have, it is a more powerful longing of God to be with us than for us to be with God. Hear me on this. Many of us try to conjure up as much as we can to to be with God, and the gospel really is the more you you realize it's God's desire to be with you, that your desire and affections to be with him are increased. That it's God saying, I'm showing up for you. I'm leaving the comforts of heaven for you. And not necessarily just to bring you back to where he's at, but to bring all of who he is and where he's at here that we may dwell with him. The, 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 the gospel writer of John, you got to have some context of John. John is one of the apostles, and he's my favorite gospel writer. Do I know John? No, I just know what he wrote, right? And all the other gospel writers, they're legit, but John Maybe all I like about John is John never refers to himself as John. He, he wrote a few books, right? There's the Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John. He wrote 2 John. And the trilogy, 3 John, right? And so you have, you have John always refers to himself as the one in whom Jesus loves. Now, he's not saying it as like he don't love anybody else. But he's saying I want to be identified. What I know about my Savior is he is the one who loves me. And you hear, God so loved the world. He loved love. True love is this. You don't love it? It's like John gets the love of God, but what he gets is he gets the presence of God. He gets the presence of God in Jesus. You want to know what the Father is like, you look at the Son. You want to know what the world is like, you look at the Son. You want to know what true life is like, you look at the Son. If you want to have eternal life, he says, you look and you believe the Son. And so he begins to talk about Jesus, and he says, this word became flesh. And so last week, Josh taught about the word. And he was taking this particular word, the the logos, that word, he's he's actually speaking to two different audiences. He has the Greek audience, he has the Hebrew audience. And he uses a word that they both can understand what I'm talking about is ultimate reality. The way that you know ultimate reality is not in your words, but it is in God himself, in in the love of God. And so all of the very sophisticated, intellectual Greeks realize, wait, are you claiming that God is the reality? He says, Absolutely. And to the, to the very religious Hebrew people saying, are you saying that Jesus is God? He goes, absolutely. And then he uses a word that is not just a word in their culture that unites them, but he uses a word that is in the biblical narrative to be able to tell the completion of a lar- larger story of what God has been doing to draw near to his people. Read with me here in verse 14. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. We're going to come back in a couple of weeks and talk about this glory and full of grace and truth. Today, we're looking at the dwell, dwelt among us. He's not just just saying, oh, yeah, and Jesus put on flesh and he dwelt among us. Like, this means something. Like, this meant something to them. And it's, again, it's a larger story that is happening there for them to be able to understand What's happening? So we got to start first to be able to know what John's talking about. He's talking about that word "dwelt" is the word "tent" or the word "tabernacle," um, and the word "tabernacle" is something that we read about in the in the Old Testament. And so, in fact, for us to be able to understand this, that the story of Advent from creation to recreation from the beginning all the way to eternity, we have to understand the story that we're a part of. So we'll start first in Genesis. Genesis, God creates the world. He says everything is good good, 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 good. He creates man. He goes, everything's good. Everything's good. He says, Adam, why don't you name all these animals? And Adam sits back. He's like, yeah, uh-huh. Hip, hippo. Um, lion. uh, hippo, lion, porcupine. Why? It looks like one. Um, and God says, okay, everything's, you know what's not good? He goes, what? For you to be alone. And so God puts him to sleep. Boom. Makes a woman. He wakes up, meets his wife. They get married. Everything's good. Everything's good. They're walking in the cool of the day. With God, That literal language there when it says that they're walk, walking in the cool of the day is the same understanding that God desires to dwell with him. That God didn't say, I'm going to create this world, I'm going to be doing my thing over here if y'all need me. I'm gonna be... He said, no, no, I'm going to create this world and I'm going to give you dominion and authority and you will reign and I will be with you as long as you desire to be with me. Adam and Eve, our first mother, our first father, they chose to rebel against God. Right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. They chose to do them. And the worst thing that God could allow us to do is just to do you. So what happens is, through sin, there's separation. Now there's a barrier between us and the very presence and communion and union that we desperately desire with God. But though that, that, that barrier is there, there's still this cavity in our heart. There's still this longing in our heart. The Bible and the wisdom literature says it this way, that eternity is in the heart of man. Whether you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or not, there is something in you that longs for something far greater than you can ever imagine, make, or think of. And what we find is that's only satisfied fully in the works of God, namely through the work of the Son, Jesus Christ. But you have this barrier, this longing, but God doesn't quit on his people because God is truly a relational God. Though we've turned our back on him, he doesn't turn his back on us. So as you begin to read the biblical narrative and it unfolds, you see God is constantly sending people to represent and to let people know who he is. And so he sends Moses to redeem his people out of the hands of Pharaoh. Now, what happens is that they're supposed to go to the promised land, but because of their own sin again, they find themselves in the wilderness. In the wilderness, God gives them instruction. He gives them the law. He gives them his presence. But the way he gives them his presence is the first time we get this language is he calls them to build a tabernacle. Right? Or a tent. Now, I'm not a camper. In fact, I don't think camping's fun, right? And that's not because you know you shouldn't think camping's fun. I think I think that's fine for you. To me, camping is staying at somebody's house in Prescott, Right? It's wild out there, right? Part of it is, part of it is I'm afraid of everything. Right? I'm afraid of every- humans, I'm good with. Right? It's the non humans that I'm afraid of. Domestic animals cats, everything, right? So camping is a hard thing for me. And I never got the reason why you would pay money to live as if you don't have money. But that's none of my business. I've camped before. But you do, you, you, <laughs> I camp every summer, by the way, just so you know. By the beach. So there's a, there is, but it's temporary, right? Like most of us are in a particular point financially that if you are going to go buy a tent, you're not going to go like this is it. You know what I mean? What's what we're going to do? We're going to put this right there for the rest of our life and no, it's for a week, a weekend, or however long you're going to, it's like it's very temporary. Well, when God gave him the tabernacle, there was a temporary sense. There was a certain way he wanted it, but it was temporary. When you go back and you read, what you see is um, God's presence, once the tent was there, he would fill it with his glory that his presence was there. And his presence went there just to make them feel good. It was that their whole lives would be centered around his presence. And if you see the way the tribes would be, that they would all find themselves around the center, which was his presence. And there would be a cloud around that tabernacle. And that, whenever that cloud would move, they'd pack up and move because they would go wherever the presence of God was. That God would lead them and that God would guide them, that he was central in their life. So now, go back, John is saying the word of God dwelt among us, that as Hebrew listeners are going, wait, this reminds us of something. Because for 40 years in the wilderness, remember, God dwelt with us. And after those 40 years, they found themselves landing in Jerusalem. They find themselves in the promised land. And then a king. And King David said, I'm going to build a temple, a permanent place for God's dwelling. And God was like, no, not you, David. A lot of killing, a lot of things. You're not going to do that. Your son will. And so Solomon builds the temple. And if you go back and you read the parts in the Bible that when you do read them, you pass over because it's a lot of detail, a lot of detail. People say, well, God's not a God of detail. A lot of detail, right? A lot of detail. You're not a person of detail. Um, neither am I, but God of detail. Now, what you have in here is all of these instructions to give a sense of God's holiness and a lot of symbolic things. In fact, when you see it, the closer you get to, there's the holy and there's the holy of holies, like the most holy place in the temple. And the holy of holies, like nobody can go to um, except for the high priest. Not all the priests, the high priest, and only once a year. And as you see the, the, uh, the instructions of the temple, it, you have, the closer you get to the holy of holies, even the, the, the material gets better. That it goes from bronze to silver to gold, And then you see also in the temple is that God's presence is going to be there on the throne, that his presence is there. But before you even there, this is part just before that of all the nice furniture, and you can think of some incredible furniture there, that there's even a table there. And the table there is significant because table always means a sense of us being with others. It's God's desire to dwell with us. John's just not throwing out words. He's not just saying, hey, God likes you. No, no, God loves you. Like, he loves the heck out of you. Like, he loves you, all of you, every part of you, good, bad, ugly, indifferent. He loves you. Like, he's the one who invites to the table. He's the one who goes out of his way to be with you. So, so like I said, I was, I was in Orlando last week, and my mom, who lives in Mississippi, um, we don't get a chance to see mom a whole lot, um, she says, hey, I'm going to be able to make it. I want to go out there and watch Noah and so forth. It's like a 14-hour drive or something like that. And her mom's in the hospital, and she goes, we'll wait till my mom gets out. Her mom gets to the hospital. She goes, last minute, she goes, we're going to come out there. I'm like, Ma, you don't have to come out. She goes, we can come out there. We can only be out there for like a, a day and some change. She's like, I'm going to drive out there. I, I'm not going to not see my baby. I said, I know you want to see me. She was like, no, Noah. And I was like, uh, that baby. So her... She drive, Her and my auntie, she, my mom does nothing without one of her sisters, so her and my auntie, they drive all the way out from Mississippi to see Noah, and me too, uh, to, see, to see Noah. And it's not just they just came to see him play football. Like, they just came to be there for him, right? And I'm just telling you, out of their way, out of their means to be there with him. And it's nothing about football. They're at the game, and here's the thing. Every, when I told, like, the, the, the moms and stuff, like, we've got this plan for the kids, and I said, no, nah, Noah's not going to do that. His grandma's coming out here, and we're going to hang out with his grandma. Oh, we want to meet him, or meet her. We want to see her, and I said, you'll know. Who, you'll know who, who As soon as the game starts, you know who they are. And some of you may say, like, everybody knew, oh, that's Noah's grandma right there, right? And you may think, well, maybe, you know, Noah's one of the very few black kids on the team. Um, no, actually not. In fact, this whole tournament was about 130 teams from basically the South, um, there were probably six white kids in the whole tournament, and they were all on our team, right? Arizona represented, and so <laughs> beacon of diversity, Arizona. So my mom was just the loudest of the loudest people in our culture, right? There were moments where she's cheering for Noah. He's not even in the game. She's like, "That's right, Noah!" And I was like, "Ma, he's not. He's right there. He's not even in the game." She goes, "He knows I'm here, though, right?" Like, there, there is this sense of going, I, 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 I'm going to show up for you. Okay, then it's like, oh, it's time to go eat. Okay, the way my family gets down is the place to go eat is Golden Corral. And I'm like, no. I said, like, what's next? Sizzler? They're like, nah, tomorrow. If we're lucky, right? If the Lord wills. <laughs> Man. And so, you get done eating the food or whatever that is that they put out there, and and all of a sudden, you're there, and the best part, as good as the food could be, is not the food in itself. It's the conversations. It's the stories. It's the laughing. There's a point where you just fade out of time, right? Like, this is, the, this is my version of sci-fi. Time stops. You know why? She doesn't care about time anyway. And so we're there talking and laughing, and, and, and you realize There are certain relationships that we all have, that no matter how distant you are in terms of time and miles, that when you get together in the same room, it's as if you guys have been together every single day. That there's just some people like that that you realize it's not the event, it's not the environment, it's not what's placed on the table, it's those who are around the table that make this thing right. God desiring to dwell with us is not a 15-hour drive that God desiring to dwell with us at the table is that he leaves Christ, the comforts of heaven, that he may draw near to those in whom he loves. And it is not about cheering on your best performance. It's you as a person that he so greatly desires to be with. That when we think about Christmas, as much as we make it about the gifts and the songs and the cookies and the other stuff, it is about the presence of God that he desperately wants to be with us. That he goes on this relentless holy pursuit to find his children that he may be with us, that he may dwell with us, that we may understand, live, and rest in the light of his love. Like, I'm looking at my mom, who honestly does not spend and does not get nearly the amount of time to be the grandma she wants to be for her grandson, and yet I'm watching Noah become somebody else just in her presence. I mean, even to funny ways, like, my son is very proper. He lives a very good life. He's very privileged. My mom is country as they get, right? When he's around my country family, all of a sudden he's like, we ain't fixing to do that, are we? And I'm like... <laughs> Seriously, he had cornrows all of a sudden? And I was like, how did... Wasn't how did, a cornbread at the Golden Corral, right? There is something about her presence that transforms who he is. When God desired for them to... to to build the temple, even the temple was temporary. What we read later in the scripture is that it was a shadow of what was to come. Some of us know what like anticipation is, we look forward to things, right? I mean simple things. Some of us even look forward to dinner time growing up. We look forward to when mom or dad or whoever was coming home. And I don't know what type of household you grew up in, but we had this deal where you had to be at home when mom came home. Like you wasn't really supposed to be outside. But you know, when she came up, it was time to eat. So in our apartment complex, the way we would grow up is, is the cars would enter in this way and they would drive all the way around the park over here. And when we would play football, that low-touch football, we'd look like, hey, is that it? My mom had a Nissan Sentra. Is that a Nissan? Is that it? Is that it? Oh, we'd run. No, that's not it. It's not it. It's just a shadow of the things to come. Whenever, whenever we saw her, tur- it's her. It's her. Game over. Game over. Right? Ran inside. And you waited because you knew something good was about to happen. You knew he was about to eat, he was about to hang out, he was about to... It was something you looked forward to. Jesus says, even the tabernacle, the temple, was just a shadow of what was to come. The birth of Christ was the very present and the realization of what God had always desired. That which was lost in the garden was now redeemed in the manger. Like that which we tried to forfeit with our sin has now come to actually be the propitiation, or the better way to say it, to die for our sins that whatever barriers that have been placed because of our action and our rebellion, that God himself in his flesh was going to break down. So when John says that the word of God became flesh and dwelt amongst us, he's saying he's here not to be a part of your life. He's here not to be an addition to your life. That if you are to receive this gift that is a joy into the world, either he's going to be central, he's not going to be in it at all. Like, either God is at the center of our life in which we are drawing our life from, or he's not there at all. There's not, my life will be better if I had Jesus in it. I would not have life if I did not have Jesus. If we don't have that holy desperation, we don't know what it means to follow, to sit, to lean into the presence of God. No one in here who's married, no one here who is dating, no one here who has a good friend is saying, I just want you to kind of be in my life. No, no, no. I want you to be a part of every single thing that I do. Like we want kids get it the best. They do. And we never tell a kid they're selfish for doing it either. A kid will come in. I keep talking about little girls. I don't know, maybe because the Lord is trying to tell me one day in the future, I'm not gonna have a girl. But there's a there, a little girl will come in and just start twirling around and look at her dad like, you see me, don't you? Right? And then you, as a dad, as a mom, you say, I see you, baby girl. I see you. There's no part like, I "Man, get your little selfish self out of here trying to get all that attention. Right? You would never say that. You would never say that because there's something that is right about a little girl desiring for her dad to notice her and be with her. I don't know why we don't realize that God is saying, you don't even have to twirl. You don't even got to look that good. In fact, you didn't look that good to begin with. You can try to put on your best. It doesn't even matter. Because when John says that, that, that he put on flesh and he dwelt with us, is that he dwelt with us not in the gated communities of our lives. He dwells with us in the mess of our lives and the gated communities. That when Jesus puts on flesh, he's the playwright, he can describe, he's like, if I gotta come save the world, let me come to the best part of Jerusalem. Let me come to North Jerusalem. No, he shows up on the south side, right? He says. Eugene Peterson paraphrases, but he said that God became flesh and that he moved into our neighborhoods. And what that's saying is the presence of God is not just there in times of celebration. The presence of God is there in times of mourning. The presence of God is there in in your highest moments when you just want to rejoice and you want to sing out loud. And the presence of God is there when you're weeping and it's hard to even open up your mouth. The reality of a season like this is we will have some of us will go through the best moments of our lives over the next few weeks. Just things will just happen, that you bless the Lord and say, Lord, I thank you. Some of us will go through some of the hardest times. Some of us will receive that phone call of a surprise guest that we want to be with us that we didn't know could, and they're going to make it, and, or we're going to make it to be with them. It's just exciting. And some of us, unfortunately, will long and mourn the people in whom we've lost. What we have to understand is what makes Christmas so real is we have a real God who shows up to real moments at real time and he's present with us for all of eternity. No matter how good it is or how bad it is, that the thickness of the presence of the Lord is with us. He tabernacles around us and with us and amongst us. And he's not in a building and he's not in a temple, but he's here now by the power of his Holy Spirit. That Jesus moves in towards us, and he says, I have to go because he's got to finish his plan of redemption, but I'm going to leave you with another. In fact, read the scripture here with me in John chapter 14. Um, The gospel of John, John again, says this. He says, and I, speaking of Jesus, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, but he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you, saying, as he leaves, through his death and his resurrection and his ascension, that he sends the spirit, that God's spirit is constantly and always with his people, that we are constantly present with the Lord as he is present with us. Amen? Here, 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 here's what we see at the very end of the story, creation the recreation, is that even in the moments of our loaves, that weep, that cry, loss, of the things that we wish we had that we didn't have, that we never got. And I'm not talking about just spoiled kids not getting what they want. The legitimate, relational good things that we desire that many of us just don't get. But it says that even in those weeping, at the very end of the story, that this Advent, we're longing for a day in which Jesus will come not just for escape but for renewal. That it says that in that day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And I can't help, again, but picture the father, a loving father for the little girl, is crying. He doesn't just say, dry those tears up, especially when she's crying for all the right reasons. He usually kneels down, takes his thumb, and wipes those tears away. The picture that we have of longing for Advent is it is totally right and a healthy expression, even in a moment of worship, in the midst of our own sadness and brokenness, to weep knowing that we have the big hand of God, the big thumb of our Father, who one day will wipe away all of those tears. Like there, there, there's this beautiful picture of saying that is the type of presence when John says that Christ dwells with us, that he brings us the presence of God in the best and then the worst, that we can worship our God. Sadly, so much of Christmas is only happy-clappy. I'm not saying it's not. We should, be ha- we should be happy and we should be clapping and all of that stuff. And some of it's in the worst moments. But his presence is still there, come what may. Amen? So we have this picture of that. And then Jesus, at the end, what was lost in the garden, he's in a fully, fully redeemed. Re- read this in, with me in uh, Revelation chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven, by the way, this is John. I told you he had that trilogy. This was another one, all right? It's called the book of Revelation. Some of y'all call it Revelations, but it's just Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, in New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. The picture is, what God's always wanted, he's going to get. And that's good news for us. That God has always wanted us, sinners, separated from him by our own sins, in which he will remove the barriers through the life of Christ. The one thing that I failed to mention about the tabernacle, is that once a year, the high priest would go in. And the high priest would go into the tabernacle, and he'd bring blood, excuse me, into the temple of the holy of holies places. He'd bring blood for himself as a sacrifice for his sin and blood for the people. What we read is the writer of Hebrews says, speaking of Christ, the one who dwells and permanently dwells with us, that he is the true high priest who goes into the most holy of places, and that is heaven itself to the throne, and that he offers a sacrifice, and his, his sacrifice is fully accepted by God, so there will be no more needs for sacrifice that the sacrifice for our sin is paid in full because of the blood of Christ. In the same way that the the temple had to tear, that there was a curtain that would have to tear in order for us to be able to enter into that presence, that Christ in himself, putting on flesh that dwells with us, that his body was ultimately torn, that we may be able to enter into the presence of God. That in the same way, ultimately, that Jesus now sits at the right hand of his Father and that he now advocates for us, and what that means is no one stands for us more than Jesus Christ sitting for us, that he represents for those in whom we would trust him and believe in him. And so what God desires is he desires for his children to know that he is present with him for all eternity. This is not something that we have to wait to experience until the day in which Christ renews all things. This is something we can experience as we wait now and worship and follow Jesus Christ. Amen? There's, there's, there's this picture that you have here, um, and I believe it's something we need to know. The very, when we see it in Revelation, and oftentimes you hear this, this passage said where Jesus stands at the door. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. If anybody would let me in, I would eat with him. And oftentimes when that's told, that's just like Jesus is standing at the door. He wants you to believe in him. But if you don't open the door, he's not going to come in because he's this gentleman and so forth. When it, there's, there's a whole lot of things that I get what they're trying to do there. But what you have here. Is when you think about being together and growing together. You think about what you will do this season. How many meals you will eat with people and sit down and be in their presence. Even when the food's not good, let's just be honest. Their presence is good. As you take that picture of Jesus singing the like resentment, his invitation is for you to eat with him. Which, just so you know, in Hebrew culture, that's a big deal. It's not grabbing a scone and a cup of coffee, right? Like, that's sitting together. It's the reason why David, when he writes in Psalm 23, and he writes, my cup runs over, spills over. Or, you know, if you grew up in the old you know, my cup runneth over. Um, I don't know about you, but if you grew up in church with King James, there's certain verses that are always going to be in King James. <laughs> so my cup runneth over. It's not a list. It runneth over. But the reason for that, that picture of the table in that is this. In Hebrew culture, if you showed up and someone overfilled your, your glass of wine... I mean, like it's spilling over. That was a message to you that you stay as long as you want. If you showed up and they just put a little bit in, you knew. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, we got to go anyway, uh, right? <laughs> like the the those are the two things. So when when you have the picture of both of the cup of wine that is overflowing, and Jesus saying, "Invite me in, for I want to eat with you." There's a sense of it. It's not for us saying we wanna stay with you forever, it's God telling us, I wanna be with you forever, right? That Christmas is about God saying, I want to be with you forever. So, so so, what in all of this? You, we as a people, have to work like crazy during this season to create habits and rhythms to make sure Jesus is at the center of all we do, say, and think. Everything else will push us towards busyness it will push us towards things we got to get to. It will push us towards the fact that we don't have enough. There will be so many different things that will, will, will cause us to naturally put Jesus on the periphery. Listen, Jesus on the periphery is like actually not the gospel. That's not good news. Jesus at the center is the good news that we need. Is reminding ourselves and our family and our friends and our community and our world is that God desires to be with us, and he wants to stay a long, long time. Amen? God, we thank you for your work, your promises, your affection that you have for us in Jesus. We thank you that you make sense of the word in ways that we can sense and see your love, that we we may be able to respond to it in very saving ways, fulfilling ways, and satisfying ways in Christ. We thank you for the gifts in which we can receive in Jesus his death, his resurrection, the new life in which we have. May we all, like the Apostle John, be able to say we are the ones in whom Jesus loves, the one in whom he wants to be with, and that we would desire, Lord, in his desire for us, that our desire for him, Lord, would be increased. To the degree that we would see his and your affection for us, that our affections for you would be raised. I pray that we would intentionally take space and time, Lord, in our lives, to recenter Christ, that he'd be in the center of everything that we do and that we say and that we think. God, we ask for your spirit to fill us in ways that we may be able to worship you with all of who we are. God, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.